0: All right, Matt. Welcome. I'm Go gonna. Ahead. I'll give you a brief introduction. I was given some feedback a few, maybe like a week ago. That was like, I need to introduce the guests more. So I'm gonna give you an on-the-spot, impromptu introduction. Okay. So, uh, Matt. He is an electrical engineering major at Biola University. Uh, he was on my floor. Um, I, when I was a junior and he was a freshman, Mosaic um, in Horton, and we have been climbing together for a while, um, and he's from San Diego. Am I missing anything important?
1: That's pretty much. Everything that's that's to you know about me. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's the entirety.
0: Okay, great. I'm glad that I just didn't didn't miss anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, here's my question to start you off. Um, so obviously you're not an engineer yet, but as an aspiring engineer, how do you see technology integrating with your faith? Um, and I asked that kind of on the back of some of the conversations we had Mm -hmm. as we were driving out to Red Rocks, talking Mm -hmm. about AI and all this different stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so feel free to answer that question however Mm -hmm. you see fit, but
1: yeah, so faith integrated with technology. Uh, there's a lot of, like, subsets okay. of how to answer that question. Mm-hmm. It's like in the context of what we were talking about with AI and, like, mm-hmm. the future of AI, um, there's a lot of ethical and, like, moral questions that go into programming AI and deciding how to use it. And, like, one, I'm working on a paper for one of my classes mm-hmm. about artificial general intelligence, right. AGI, which is... AI that can function and think at the same level as a human and like that kind of sounds absurd but also people think we're gonna like the latest reports show that we'll probably reach that by 2027 Mm. like an AI that can think at the level of a human so it's like this isn't faith related specifically but there's like an ethical question of like what does that mean like how are we meant to view that Mm -hmm. and i know a lot of people think about like at what point are we playing god with Uh creation of obviously it doesn't have like a soul it's not a being but it is a technology that has the that at some point will have the capacity to reason think and be aware of itself in the same way that a human is in some sense yeah which carries a lot of moral like questions with it kind of
0: i were i don't think you were the one that showed me this video of the robot that had to do manual labor were you okay Uh i think this was jake jake showed me this video of of um it was a robot that was programmed with ai okay and they had it moving boxes Mm -hmm. so it was doing like as if it could you know perform a job Mm mm-hmm and after 15 minutes it decided that the the rational thing to do or like the logical thing to do was just to terminate it. Oh, so. <laughs> that's crazy. So people were like yeah, they're not they're not that's coming not for either. our jobs anytime <laughs> yeah. soon. That's a <laughs> great reflection of... yeah. Um, but anyways, that's a um, that's kind of a side uh, point. Um
1: I saw this um Video, or I read this article as I was researching for this paper I'm writing about a it's artificial organic intelligence. Okay. Is what it's called now, um, where a lot of electrical engineering is involved in making semiconductors mm-hmm. or different means of conducting electricity more efficiently and like providing power in the best way and okay. the data, and. The thinking by the scientist was the human brain is, like, the best at that. Like, okay. unbeatable. Yeah. Um, so they found ways to clone human brain cells. They made this, like, 3D-printed scaffolding thing. And then they had the brain cells, like, clone and grow around it. Okay. And then we're able to program those brain cells and run code through those. Uh-huh. And it just ended up playing, like, Pong, though, because that's... What like all easy? technology starts with, <laughs> yeah, pong. yeah, but it's kind of scary to like think yeah, like that's that actually crazy. brain cells that they are able to program to play a game right now. Yeah, like what's the and it was more efficient than using like a computer or something because it's using brain cells. So they're yeah. doing more research into that of like Very is this the next step in AI, which uh-huh. is a whole another scary yeah can of worms
0: so uh, something i've been wrestling with for a while now is like Mm -hmm. so it seems like in a lot of ways there are these trajectories that technology is going on where it's like i mean a lot of people would argue like exponentially increasing right the rate Mm -hmm. of improvement Mm -hmm. is is exponential um, which is like moore's law right the number of chips on a semiconductor doubles every 10 years i think that's moore's law Um, but then I read Ecclesiastes and it's like, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've been wrestling with like, how do I reconcile? There's nothing new under the sun with scientists are cloning the human brain. There's something new under the sun, (laughs) it seems like. And it's a cloned human brain. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any insight into that?
1: I mean, it's... That's an interesting verse to look at because like objectively it seems like we're discovering new things mm-hmm. every day. But also I see I think we talked about this a little too. Also, do I need to speak more You're to good. the mic or is it? Okay. Um we talked about this a little too, how I feel like technology kind of like the improvement of technology comes in waves where like there'll be a rapid improvement of technology mm-hmm. and then a fall off or like a dark ages like okay we have yeah middle ages dark ages and stuff like that where there'll be this crazy increase and that causes some breakdown that leads to okay yeah so i think there's nothing new under the sun kind of applies in that sense of like humans are just doing the same thing over. And it's over cyclical it seems like yeah and like the technology is different what we're making is different but it's the same thing we're gonna like it seems like humans think they get so smart making this new technology power hungry greedy and it makes uh-huh. them to fall apart and uh-huh. use this new technology against each other and in negative ways so like that's how I kind of relate that verse uh-huh. a lot to yeah this because there's nothing new under the sun in the sense that we're just stuck in the same cycle right
0: so the, the technology and obviously all that stuff is new but humans are going to act the same way regardless. Mm-hmm. So, when you're seeing stuff about AI and Neuralink and all the new developments, you're you're thinking like, okay, this this still probably doesn't change anything about the way humans interact.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be reflected in similar ways of like when humans learned how to smelt iron and make swords and chariots and mm-hmm. use each other. So we're making this AI and it's helping build up society overall. Mm-hmm. And we have chat GPT, which is helping so many students on <laughs> tests more efficiently. Um, or, I mean, we use AI in so much face recognition on our phones, uh-huh. uh, maps on our phones. And there's so much AI usage that's helping our society. Uh-huh. But also, I feel like everybody's sort of vaguely aware, or more acutely aware of how this could be dangerous, corrupted, yeah. very easily and very quickly to yeah. be bad.
0: Yeah. So, kind of tying this back into what you're saying about like the ethics and like the moral behind it, mm-hmm. what um, how what, do you see yourself like in the future as an electrical engineer like? playing a part in this conversation or how would you see yourself like aiding that problem of the corruption if at all
1: like trying to fix the problem yeah or... sure
0: yeah not not not, <laughs> not furthering not helping the problem further because <laughs> i was thinking, i mean maybe <laughs> but, it was quite nefarious uh, of you
1: no i'm not sure there's so many there's so many different ways to go about it that just depends on the position I'm put in right like obviously I singularly can't have too much power over what all of AI in the world is doing right but I can work on whatever job I end up getting yeah keeping what I do morally aligned and ethically aligned uh-huh There's, I mean, it's hard to tell right now because even in two, three years when I graduate college, technology is going to be in a whole different different place. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I can have a concrete answer to that question right now. Totally, and that's
0: fair. Um, So in that case, I'll throw a harder one at you, a harder question. (laughs) I get one question wrong and I get a harder one. Uh, no, there's no wrong answers. Uh, only bad ones. No, just <laughs> there's no wrong answers, only <laughs> stupid ones. <laughs> um, do you, is that enough? If, if, does it take everyone just saying, oh, well, I'm just going to be ethical in my, the position that I've been given and it's all going to work itself out. Is that enough to stop that level of corruption or is the corruption inevitable? Um, I know this isn't... It's not really an engineering question. It's more of a, like, humanity question. But
1: Yeah. I may be a tad pessimistic in this answer, but uh-huh. I feel like there's so much corruption at higher levels that have control over this stuff that is very difficult to yeah. overcome by, like, individual means, if yeah. that makes sense. Like, there... Are much higher powers in the world that are corrupted or seeking more power through this technology that I like me and any other engineers or programmers that want to stay moral Mm -hmm. can do their best and do what they can but like we just don't have the power or the abilities or the access to the powers that be to make right super sincere changes i feel like right beyond and i mean there's certain people that are able to reach higher level or totally. level of power totally. that can have a good influence right but no guarantees that i get to that point and i'm not expecting in the future that right like that's i'm not planning on that
0: yeah and there there probably is like a there is definitely something healthy about like well, I'm just going to do the best I can with what I have in front of me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that. Um, so I want to switch directions a little bit. Um, but how do you see creativity playing a role in engineering? Um, have you seen that in your mm-hmm. own experience at Biola? Any projects you've worked on? Um or do you feel like no it's like it's basically a science there's no like creativity or yeah,
1: yeah I actually see a ton of creativity in engineering mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons I like it so much because like when you think of creative majors or creative jobs you think of acting or mm-hmm. art or music mm-hmm. or other the arts stuff yeah. like that um, but what I love about engineering a lot of the times is you given a task or a goal to accomplish and are told get to it like some way and i enjoy having creativity in that process of how do i accomplish this task so if i'm given an assignment that is code a program that's able to play a slideshow of pictures or something simple like that Mm -hmm. and that's all the instruction i'm given i have creative freedom to go about that however I uh-huh. want. And there may be there's more efficient ways of writing that code, there may be better ways of writing that code. But ultimately it's up to me to work through that and determine what's best for me.
0: Uh-huh. How do you how are you thinking of creativity in an engineering context? Is it a like coming up with unique solutions or like how are you kind of a rough definition?
1: I, yeah, I would agree with that one. Probably coming up with solutions, the most effective solutions to a uh-huh. given problem okay. is how creativity generally manifests itself. In, in engineering. At least my form of engineering. Uh-huh. There's design, architectural engineering and stuff like that. Uh-huh. That's a bit different. But.
0: Uh-huh. So what does that process look like of coming up with a, a unique solution to a problem?
1: Mm-hmm. It generally involves me typing my problem into Google and seeing how many-
0: <laughs> No. Um, Although, I'll pause you because I feel like that is significant. Yeah. I mean, and especially, like, with code now, mm-hmm. I feel like every coder, mm-hmm. the first thing you do is, like, has somebody else done this that uh-huh. I can, like, just use their code? <laughs>
1: I, I typed one of my coding assignment prompts from last year into chat GPT mm-hmm. and it generated a fully functioning code that I was just able to plug in and it worked wow. immediately. I had to change one line Yeah, and then it worked immediately and I was like this is crazy.
0: And I think probably that will be increasingly more common mm-hmm. that people actually use that as a tool. Mm-hmm.
1: And to be fair, it was like a simple coding assignment, yeah, yeah, yeah. so like it wasn't crazy hard. But if but... you can
0: break your problem down into small enough chunks, there's no reason that you couldn't like write the first draft essentially yeah, all through.
1: Pretty much, and GQP. then just build off of there. Yeah. But back to the question. Yeah, creative like, process. Yeah, I think. So I mean, there is a large part of it. Sometimes that comes from looking at previous. Uh-huh. Uh huh research other people have done or previous work other people have done um and basing it off of that but sometimes that only gets you so far and there's just not resources to find yeah so i mean i feel like it's fairly basic steps that can apply to, like any problem solving but like you have to get your problem and break it down into like its core components okay it's so, like last summer i had an internship and my assignment was we had to make like a robotic arm with an easy instruction manual that could be used for robotics labs okay. for college students or high school students or something yeah. like that. And that was just, that was our goal. It had to ha- it had to be remote controlled and have five degree, like five joints okay. on it. Um, so me and the two other people on my team, we sat down and we're like, okay, what do we need to do about this? So one of them is interested in mechanical engineering. And we're like, okay, we're going to need we want it to be 3D printed. So we're like, we're gonna need a framework for this robotic arm. Uh, So you try and figure that out. I'm interested in electrical engineering and coding. So I'll work on circuits and figuring out like what the circuit layout of this is is gonna be. Mm -hmm. Sort of try and look into that more. And yeah, so it's just kind of like breaking it down into easier pieces and uh-huh. then building off of it because uh-huh. a lot of a lot of the problems I encounter in like my circuit classes are I'm like okay I want to make this working circuit and I plug I plug everything in and it's like 15 different components and I click run and there's like 450 errors that pop up on the screen <laughs> like I have to go like step by step by this like uh-huh. make sure power's connected make sure grounds connected, yeah, yeah. like the if you just jump to completion, uh-huh. chances are there's a bunch of mistakes you miss that are harder to address from uh-huh. a large-scale view. Uh-huh. So that's how I go about my okay. like, problem-solving for assignments I'm given or tasks I'm given.
0: Uh-huh. So you're saying basically, like, identify problem in its, like, pieces or parts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then how are you... Generating solutions like, are you just brainstorming? Are you coming up with like ten things you think might work and then narrowing down, or is it trial and error?
1: There's a lot of trial and error involved. Uh-huh. If I can't find something previously to base my work off of, like mm-hmm. online or something, there's a lo- definitely a lot of, I mm-hmm. mean, logically trying to reason through it. But mm-hmm. sometimes that gets you four or five possible different answers, and you're like, I don't know if this one's going to work better, if this one's going to be quicker, is this one right. going to fail? So then it's a bit of just trial and error. So, like, take reasoning and logical reasoning as far as it can go. Uh-huh. And then when you're kind of at a dead end there. Mm-hmm. Trial and error sometimes gives you the answer or at least gives you more clues to, like, what's wrong or what further reason right. you can take.
0: It actually, like, helps you zero in. Maybe you didn't identify the problem well enough <laughs> and it helps you zoom yeah. in more on the problem. Exactly. Um, so one thing I've talked about with other people and the creative process, which I talked with like Ian about music. um, And I've talked with a few other people about like storytelling and stuff like that. Um, So I'm interested about like some of the same questions that I asked them, but in a context that isn't always considered, like you said, a quote unquote creative. Um, So one of those questions would be, is there a certain, like, environment in which you find yourself to be the most creative? Um, or, like, certain kind of practices that you put in place or um, context in which you find yourself the most creative?
1: Mm. That's a good question. Because, like, generally I'm forced into it through mm-hmm. classes, like, you just have to be creative right uh-huh. now. But, like... I actually just genuinely find myself most creative mm-hmm.
0: or maybe times that you feel like inspired um like mm-hmm. you feel like a lot of you start having like a lot of ideas
1: mm-hmm. they'll a lot of it comes when I'm working with other students or faculty and uh-huh. I'm like in a circuits lab with all the technology right there that I need to work with okay and it's like I see what they're doing and I'm like oh that's interesting I wonder what I could take from that okay. or sometimes it comes from like watching a YouTube video on some robotics Uh project or something and being like, Ooh, that's interesting. Like I want to draw off of that. Okay. So I feel like
0: it sounds like what you're saying kind of what you've said a few times, like you like, even with the Google thing, which I don't think is insignificant Mm -hmm. is you like hearing other people's ideas. And then that it's almost like you're having a conversation. Mm hmm. So you, you're you at your most creative when you're actually interacting with other people's ideas yeah. even if they're not directly related to the mm-hmm. problem that you're trying to solve.
1: Yeah. There's an element of <clears throat> like enjoying being able to make something from scratch just solely my own like right. thoughts and ideas. And right. sometimes that's fun to just try and figure that out on my own. Uh-huh. But
0: But those two things don't it, have to be exclusive, right? Because it could be yeah. like Oh, I saw this person do this, but there's a major problem with what yeah. they did, and I have an idea on how to fix it.
1: Yeah, or I saw this person do this, and that's cool, but I think there's further that we can go with exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of, that's probably my favorite kind of, like, uh-huh. problem-solving ideas to work with. Uh huh. Because. I feel like I have a solid base to start off of. Uh huh. I feel like I'm not just repeating stuff that I know can be easily done. Mm-hmm. Like there's something more enjoyable about going into territory where I can't find anything on Google about it, or yeah, like it. it it's fun to problem solve making a simple circuit when I know I could find it on Google easily, mm-hmm. but it's not as rewarding to me as like actually. Yeah trying to sort of bridge ahead of what I've been able to find.
0: Yes. Well, I think I've been kind of like formulating some like theories about creativity and how people like are interacting with new ideas. And one of the things is it seems like most people have a sense for like something that's not, not there yet, but they know like could be, could exist. Mm -hmm. um and so for some people it's like oh well no one's talking about this one thing but i have a vision for what that could look like Mm -hmm. but you're saying like you just see other people's things and that you see like a string trailing off of that that you're like oh i want to follow that and see where that leads
1: yeah i think it's a bit of both like something i think those two can go hand in hand kind of like I see what other people have done, and I think there's unexplored area past that. Exactly. Like one of the, uh, a practical example, and this isn't something I'm at a level to be able to work on yet, but like we've seen super huge increases in clean energy and Uh like generating energy through solar panels or wind or geothermal energy, stuff like that but we're severely limited in being able to store that energy. Uh And that's the reasoning of why they don't just build, like, a giant solar farm in, like, the Sahara Desert. Uh Because even if they generate a trillion kilowatts of energy, we have no way of sustainably storing it. Okay, yeah. So that's an area I'm kind of interested in, like, what... And there's been advances. uh, Molten salt batteries is a new one where it's, like, this super efficient battery at storing energy without losing it. Mm -hmm. So obviously that's not by melting
0: salt. I would presume. Yeah. That's like involved in the creation. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But it's that sort of idea of seeing here's this really cool technology, this really cool advancement, Mm -hmm. but there's a problem or there's more we can go with it. Mm -hmm. And I want to see what that is. That sort of, my Mm -hmm. that's the type of creativity I find myself leaning into more rather than completely going.
0: Yeah. You're not a, you're not like a, um, individualist painter who's like really like interpretive and wants to like the rebel who wants to do something Mm -hmm. nobody's ever done before. You're Mm -hmm. like, no, I want to keep building on what's already being done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably pretty common for people who find themselves in engineering.
1: I mean, if I have like a revelation of some like new technology that's never been discovered uh-huh. before, then that'll probably be cool. Uh-huh. But it's
0: but but some people just don't work. That's not really how they work. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll th- I'm gonna throw you a a softball now. Okay. After you know some brutal, <laughs> brutal... some rocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why do you why do you think that when we go to the climbing gym there are a ton of engineers at the climbing gym? <laughs> I was actually just <laughs> thinking about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um,
1: because I listen to a bu- I watch a bunch of climbing YouTube or listen to climbing podcasts too. Uh-huh. So many of them started off as engineers. Uh-huh. I like, talk about going to college and getting their engineering degree. Yeah. Like that's literally me. Yeah. But I think it's because. It's almost, it's very similar to the type of creativity problem solving I was just talking about where you look at a rock or you look at this wall in the climbing gym and we call them problems, boulder problems. And you have this set of holds on the wall and you're like, I need to figure out the best way to get up this or to climb this. And I think it's that same sort of process of you see the end goal you know what the end goal is yeah and it's about finding the most efficient way for you to get up it okay and like a climber who's six foot four is going to find a very different way than the climber who's five foot two to get up the wall because they just have different heights and different arm spans and different strengths and stuff like that so i think at least for me personally it appeals to the same sort of problem solving mindset uh-huh. in a lot of engineers that yeah. and they can afford climbing gym memberships. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, good point. Uh yeah, and I I feel like um in a lot of ways it's like there are it's very simi- similar in that there are physical restraints right like you're you are in some ways like just adhering to the lo- like the laws of physics yeah. like that is a hard limit on rock climbing. Uh-huh. uh whether you're thinking about it or wall. not yeah um and so it's all it feels almost like an engineering problem but with your own body like your <laughs> your body is the like equipment that you've been given to solve uh this like engineering problem or physics problem almost yeah um yeah i'm always surprised like whenever we go to the gym like mm-hmm. oh what if i talk to somebody I'm like what do you do oh i'm an engineer yeah, there's so many <laughs> i feel like it's
1: over like 80 percent of the people in a climbing gym are engineers or computer science yeah people yeah it's crazy definitely
0: um okay so i'll, I'll let you um kind of go go with some climbing okay. uh <laughs> Something I like. (laughs) Um, How'd you get into climbing?
1: Um, I took a rock climbing class at Biola, and that's what really hooked me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'd been a few times before, and like I always really liked it. It always just sort of, I think for the reason we were just talking about, it Mm -hmm. always kind of appealed to me. Mm -hmm. And I always really liked heights, like being high up. Mm -hmm. So. But it never really, like, hooked me as something to actually do mm-hmm. until I took the class for my Kniece credit. Right. And I was like, ooh, this is really fun. Yeah. And it was something I was pretty naturally good at. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this would be fun to, like, spend more time getting into and figuring out more. Yeah.
0: Do you think more people should climb?
1: Yes. <laughs> Just, yeah. I think it's... Uh, very unique like different kind of sport Uh that exposes people to very different processes than most sports yeah like i feel like like basketball football soccer volleyball like all those sort of classic sports like obviously they're hugely different Uh and have like different like basketball
0: and soccer are like they're pretty much the same sport mm-hmm. except one you score a lot more and you're also throwing it up instead of kicking it yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like pretty much. but in a lot of ways like the movements are <laughs> like the same and it's a team game and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff
1: where rock climbing is super like just completely different it works completely different muscles it pushes you to like your physical max in a Mm -hmm. way that I feel like a lot of sports don't Mm -hmm. like a lot of sports are about like cardiovascular health. Yeah. Um, or it's bouldering at least it's like, just what is the sheer amount of strength you can put out (laughs) in like 20 seconds. Right. Um, and then there's also the problem solving aspect I think Mm -hmm. is super good and it's good for your joints and stretching and flexibility and stuff like that Uh until you like, dislocate your shoulder right right <laughs> then not as much. rupture your a3 pole yeah. <laughs> or anything like that
0: uh mm-hmm. now i i can see how that question may be easier to answer if you're thinking gym climbing mm-hmm. if you factor in outdoor climbing does your answer change at all
1: i would say if you factor in outdoor climbing it's even more strongly like, okay interesting the, okay you should do it like just outdoor climbing is one thing is that what you're referring to like only going outdoors or make sure of no
0: just adding that into the mixture yeah
1: i mean i may be biased to that too because i've always loved like being outdoors mm-hmm. and camping and stuff like that mm-hmm. but i think it's such a cool way to connect with nature and be out in nature and like god's creation and stuff uh-huh. like that with getting exercise and a goal in mind right and it's such a unique like opportunity yes yeah. It's something you don't get to experience much, and then I keep seeing like memes where it's like it prepares you for the zombie apocalypse when like you need know, to <laughs> climb up a cliff to escape them I'm ready <laughs> and scramble up that thing. Yeah,
0: that's interesting because I I feel like in the climbing community there's a lot of like there's a little bit of gatekeeping, mm-hmm. like no there can't be too many people who are into this. Mm-hmm. It's And partly from, like, environmental reasons. Like, we can't have everyone in the world mm-hmm. outside, like, putting chalk on these rocks.
1: Yeah, that's a very similar mindset to surfing, too. Oh, I didn't like, think about like that, the, yeah. And I think a lot of it is just sort of a selfish or, like, greedy mindset of, I want this wave to myself, or I don't like when this boulder is crowded. So yeah. I don't want to and there is an aspect of it that is like, environmental, and we're meant to be stewards for the environment. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if the way of doing that is by trying to discourage people from going outdoors. And there definitely is some sort of, like, gatekeeping mindset in the climate community. Mm -hmm. At least, like, you can sometimes... Most people are super welcoming, but there's some really high level climbers who see you like floundering around on like on the cube oh, yeah on the cube <laughs> on their warm up and they're mm-hmm. like ah oh, just get them out of here yeah but it's it's like everybody goes about their journey in their own way, and I yeah. think the benefits of bringing more people outdoors and teaching them like how, like if those high level climbers were able to like, sort of take lower-level climbers under their wing and teach them how to be good stewards of the environment. Mm -hmm. Like, that would be great. And the same thing in surfing. Instead of kicking people out of your favorite break, teach them these are the ethics or these are the rules here.
0: Yeah. That's interesting because I think, like, historically climbing is such a, like, rebel's Mm -hmm. sport. And you're, like, you want to introduce, like, a like a politic almost like a, <laughs> like a, like rules and a system of like, so, I mean, and I don't think you're wrong. It's just, it's kind of like uh, conflicts with the ethos of the sport.
1: It's always been a rebellious sport, like in the history, but it's been like rebellious with the rules always. I feel like like all the history of climbers attacking other climbers for bolting their favorite routes, uh-huh, yeah, like, yeah. making trails to the boulders and uh-huh. stuff like that. Uh-huh. Like, it was a sport for the rebels until people rebelled against the rebels' rules. Huh. Like, the yeah, rules yeah. that they set yeah, in yeah. place for how they wanted to do it. Funny. And then the original rebels were like, hey, there's rules or there's a system in place and you can't break that. It's like, isn't that exactly what you were trying to escape from? I love that. I love
0: that. You know? It's like a, a philosophic just as a philosophical, like, uh, kind of, I guess, idea. But just that even the rebels like have their own rules that they abide by. Does rebelling make
1: rules you're, by the nature of rebelling. Right. Yeah. You just
0: don't like the rules that you're under. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Um Okay. Well then yeah, more people. Let's get more, more people, people climbing. Are you listening to this? Get <laughs> Me and out Matt there. will take you we'll, <laughs> we'll take, take you climbing. climbing. <laughs> yeah. I do think I do think it's valuable for people to understand that you can get exercise, and have fun Mm -hmm. at the same time. And I think that's one of the core things that rock climbing offers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think too many people, like we were talking, if you go to the Biola gym, no hate, no hate, but some of you guys are doing some whack stuff at the Biola (laughs) gym. (laughs) Everybody starts out somewhere, but also like, like, well, yeah, find something you enjoy and like (laughs) learn about it. And I think that's probably what climbing has offered for both of us is like something you enjoy a play, something to like really like immerse yourself in and learn about Mm -hmm. and get better at um but then also like keep yourself healthy
1: yeah it's and it's also a sport that just leads to so much like reward i feel like from improving Mm -hmm. like if you're playing basketball like it's cool if you're able to make five threes in a row or something but like there's no like super crazy standards of improvement you know other than just in general sort of getting better and i feel like rock climbing has such clear like grade breakthroughs yeah like i climbed at a new level and every time you're able to get that feeling it's like inspires you to keep working harder i feel like did
0: you play any team sports i did what team you played volleyball i played
1: volleyball basketball, and flag football.
0: Okay. I just... I I kind of disagree with you. Partly because I've had, like... I've had those moments in basketball where it's like you hit the, you know, game winner, whatever, yeah. or, like, a big shot. Mm-hmm. And it's not, like... It's not, like, a marker of your improvement, necessarily. Mm-hmm. But the, the social aspect of that, where it's, like... The team would like was counting on you, and yeah. you came through. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is a very rewarding moment.
1: Yeah, I, I'm definitely not saying that it isn't. I mm-hmm. think it's a different kind of rewarding, though. Uh-huh. It's like um, it's a super cool experience to get like the game winning shot or to get the game winning hit in mm-hmm. volleyball, mm-hmm. but it's not like that isn't a definitive mark of your progress of your personal skill of your personal skill progression or Mm -hmm. improvement in the same way that I feel like there isn't climbing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like there are
1: those metrics in team sports and stuff, but I feel like they generally hold less value because what you're aiming for in team sports is generally winning the game. Right. Uh, and that's sort of the metric you're going for. Like how many wins did I get? Yeah. Uh,
0: but the, I I just feel like there's something also there's something very rich about doing that as a team, mm-hmm. and perhaps more applicable to the rest of life. Yeah, I,
1: I, <laughs> I yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. Okay. I think um, team sports are super valuable, and yeah. I I definitely wouldn't say quit a team sport to go rock and climbing. Go, yeah, yeah. I think they're not mutually exclusive.
0: Okay, but I do and now now that we've. Now that I've gaslighted you into agreeing with <laughs> okay, you, great. So- <laughs> I do agree with you that there is something rewarding about like, it's basically like an equation of like how hard and effectively you train mm-hmm. and how good you are at rock climbing. Mm-hmm. And there's other factors too, but mainly it's like, yeah, it's just a direct result of how, how hard are you training or how much, how often are you at the gym basically. Mm-hmm. So and there is something like very directly rewarding about that when you have a breakthrough or something. Mm-hmm. So but I I just couldn't let you get away with that.
1: Yeah, I know, <laughs> I, know. I love team sports. I still love team sports. <laughs> I just can't do them anymore as much.
0: Right. And and yeah. That is one of the things about climbing that's nice is like you see people who are like 40 and still
1: I see people that you know, are like 70 that climb better than you somehow.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> Okay, well, we're like, we're like two-thirds of the way through, so I'm going to shift one more time. Um, we've covered kind of like engineering, engineering. and creativity, um, some climbing.
1: The two major facets of my uh, personality. Yeah, <laughs> right. Now San Diego.
0: No, I'm just yes! <laughs> um Yes! I want to ask, I've asked a lot of people about their experience at Viola. Now, okay. granted, a lot of my friends are, you know, graduating or close to being done. Um, but you're like a little over halfway through your Viola experience. What have been the things you've been most grateful for at Biola?
1: I think the easy answer for me is like the Bible minor and the community that's built up around that. Mm-hmm. Like the opportunity to learn so much about my faith and about my religion, mm-hmm. which Is like actually the most important facet of my Mm -hmm. personality in my life.
0: Mm -hmm. Like, so not San Diego. Not San Diego. It's a close (laughs) second, but it's
1: not number one. Um, I think the opportunity to get such a good, like, such an in-depth knowledge about Mm -hmm. the faith and the history of it and the doctrines and like interpretations of the Bible, and like obviously that there's not a Direct correlation between like your status of as a believer and your knowledge about the Bible, mm-hmm. but I found for me, somebody who's always been like super logical in that what side brain is that?
0: Don't ask me. Don't Not know. a biology major. Left or right side brain? Top side. <laughs> top, top side, side brain. <laughs>
1: um, it's like gaining all that knowledge about the Bible has i've seen it reflected in my faith and my walk with god um and then the community that's built off of that like just the amount of in-depth biblical discussions you're able to have with the random people you come across like the amount of people at biola that know what the term inaugurated eschatology means i don't know what that means i'm sorry i'm a kid. (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, why i'm
0: asking you questions about like the fate of humanity uh, yeah, yeah.
1: you only know what aristotle thinks about that exactly <laughs> um but the amount of like knowledge that people have about the bible mm-hmm. and the amount that you are able to discuss it even if you have like major like differences uh like in your faith of that person not major differences but like if you're arminian and they're calvinist or mm-hmm. stuff like that like you can both discuss from a point of understanding that the other person is knowledgeable about it. And yeah. I just think it's a really unique opportunity that you don't get in most other places.
0: For sure. Um, now, I've got a hypothetical scenario for you. You get a great job and you move away and you lose the community that you had at Biola. Are you still better off because of your experience at Biola and why? Why? I'm assuming uh, you'll say yes to that, so why? No, not a chance.
1: <laughs> no, 100%. I think it has, I mean, beyond just giving me more head knowledge about the Bible, it's also helped teach me habits I should mm-hmm. learn in my own faith, like methods of Bible study or spending time with God, devotions, mm-hmm. prayer. Um, that'll like That's an obvious way of how it will benefit me. But also, I feel like something I've realized, at least, from all these classes, is that a lot of churches are lacking in, like, people who are educated in the faith to a huh. like higher degree. Like, mm-hmm. you have the pastor, yeah. generally, obvi- obviously, is elders. Hopefully. Um, hopefully. <laughs> pastor, hopefully. Elders, hopefully. But... Like I feel like there's so much more discipleship that needs to be going on mm, in the church yeah. that I feel like I will be better prepared for. Uh-huh. Not necessarily that you have to take these classes to be prepared yeah. in that way, but I think it just helps me be ready.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, how... Sorry, I... my mind just went in like three different directions. <laughs> because my on Sunday our pastor talked about discipleship and so I'm like mm-hmm. you just tapped into <laughs> like <laughs> just um, gave you PTSD from church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, yes. So my I had a professor on actually on the podcast, Dr. Janelle Eisen. She okay. is a Tory professor mm-hmm. and she's absolutely fantastic. Okay. Um, but one of the things she talked about with Tory was like it doesn't teach you necessarily like all the information you need to know, but uh, as like a metaphor, it teaches you how to chew your food. Mm-hmm. So it it maybe it doesn't give you all the information about the Bible, but it tells you here's how you process th- the information that's in the Bible. And it sounds like you're saying that's that's just what Biola does well in general.
1: Yeah. So I would also say. I, through middle school and high school, had an education that was very Tory-esque. Uh-huh. Like, uh, socratic, that, discussion. Yeah, socratic discussion, read a book and come to class and discuss it. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm already kind of ingrained with yep. those same principles of how you it, get to the really truth. It's really important yeah. to learn how to learn, yes. like to know how to read a book that you may disagree with and know why you disagree with it totally or like that you agree with and actually view it from an objective like, totally standpoint um so i i don't know how much of that is just from my previous experience or from how viola okay. teaches it i definitely know there's a lot of or there's been several bible professors that i've had experience with that i think fall into that same line of thinking, Uh of trying to get us to learn for ourselves rather than just memorize what they say and be able to regurgitate it. Great.
0: Okay. And that's good. How do you see yourself being able to use that skill in the church body? Um, Is there like a specific way that you... Is it like leading a small group or um, do you have other ideas for that?
1: I mean, I think one, one way that that can manifest itself is be of false prophets and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And like, I think so many people trust what pastors and preachers have to say just because they're a pastor and they know more than you. Mm -hmm. Um, And hopefully your pastor is not heretical and (laughs) he knows and he stays aligned with the truth. But I mean, we have so many examples of pastors and preachers who say stuff that just isn't accurate to the bible Mm -hmm. and i think having that mindset of okay i'm hearing something but i'm not necessarily accepting it as fact until like i i weigh it against the bible or Uh i have a different standard to weigh it against but just because the pastor's saying it doesn't mean i fully accept it as truth
0: right
1: so that's one way i think like, yeah, leading a Bible study, like you said, is mm-hmm. helpful. It helps just interpreting the Bible in general. Mm-hmm. Like reading the Bible, Being like, okay, this is kind of confusing. Yeah. What does this mean? Like, yeah. let's look into this more um, rather than just being like, well, this is confusing. Let's move on. Let's ignore that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's a way of thinking that just helps in most aspects of learning and of your life in general. Yeah,
0: agreed. I think. It's a very important skill to have and I think you're right to say that we need more people in the church who can do that kind of thinking. So I would encourage you not from a place of knowing the answer, but from like also having this that same like kind of question, but I would encourage you to like look into how can I use the skill that I've been given and incorporate it in the body. Okay.
1: Um, benefit the church
0: yeah yeah because that's it that's a gift that you've been given mm-hmm. and something something that you could very readily give that gift even without like a probably without a lot of like time put into it mm-hmm. um, so yeah and i I think I think there are a lot of people particularly right now who are kind of frustrated with the way that church is Mm -hmm. um and part of that is just unfortunate but part of it is also like yeah there are probably some things that need to change and i think probably one of those things like we need more people who really care about the bible and who are in a place where they can kind of distribute that that skill of being able to chew your food yeah
1: and it's bad because i feel like so many people go to church like, just wanting, like, an escape, kind of, in a place where they can just let their guard down and Mm. just... But there's been so many news stories about churches recently or about pastors where it's just, like, they just don't hold up to the standards you want Uh them to. Um, And I think that can be very discouraging for a lot of people in the church. And I think, yeah, it's helpful to have this mindset, and there's ways to use that in the church to mm-hmm. encourage other members of the church of saying your faith isn't just based on this one person. It's just because this one person had downfalls, like this pastor uh-huh. had some secret that came out or something like mm-hmm. that's not what your faith is based on. Yeah, Like for we're sure. Higher than that.
0: Did you listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, the podcast? No, I didn't. Have you heard about
1: this? No, Mars Hill.
0: It was a church, okay. I think, in, like, Washington or, like, Seattle, maybe. I can't remember exactly, but it's a great podcast. It's about kind of, like, kind of what you're talking about. Okay. Um, but, yeah, if if you have time, which you probably okay. don't, then you can go listen to <laughs> it. do <make> time. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything from your Biola experience so far that you wish were different? Is there anything, like, you would... If you were in charge, you would improve about your Bible experience? Oh,
1: if I were in charge, I think the cat food could be slightly better. Okay, good answer, good answer. Um, but actually, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I think this is the reason I'm not in charge. <laughs> I would come in and just be like, we're doing good, guys. Uh-huh. Let's keep it how it is. Uh-huh. Um... think they have a good emphasis on like the amount of bible learning Mm -hmm. so they just took away bible requirements for transfer students which i don't necessarily agree with okay and i think there could be more emphasis on discipleship Mm -hmm. and there's some professors right now that are um trying to set up for next year a program where a bunch of upperclassmen will like have a group of freshmen that they okay. can yeah, that like, would sort be of really like, cool. have to disciple. And there's like 160 people signed up so far wow. or something. Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, but before that started, I think we needed a higher emphasis on people who are further along their experience in Viola, like mm-hmm. taking people under their wing and sort mm-hmm. of guiding them along the process.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Especially now that they have split dorms to be freshman only.
0: Really, they, just, they I have freshman only
1: dorms and upperclassmen dorms. Really. So, and I think that's what incentivized the yeah, definitely the uh, professors to make that discipleship. Yeah, because
0: my freshman year it was like, like we had a senior. Uh, do you know um, Sean Cornish? No, I don't
1: think okay. so. Okay,
0: yeah, he that makes sense that you wouldn't know. He him, graduated <laughs> before I got there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we had like seniors on Mosaic fresh, mm-hmm. my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And so like I would go to Hanger, or it used to be the factory, yeah. but I would go there with like the seniors on my floor. Mm-hmm. so.
1: And I feel like that's kind of how, I mean, that's how it felt when I went into our floor. I mean, it wasn't like seniors, last year. but yeah, it yeah. was all of you juniors. I mm-hmm. felt like you all had like your group already and were like willing to sort of mm-hmm. accept other people definitely be in it
0: yeah i think that's that's very valuable and i i wonder if covid and having that because that really formed a gap between my year and the years underneath us Mm -hmm. because we just never met them Yeah. so i i wonder how much role that plays but
1: yeah
0: well matt i think our time's up but thank you. We've solved all yeah. the problems.
1: We solved we solved every engineering problem, yep. every climbing problem, and every Bible problem. Oh, all of them are We've solved. We've succeeded.
0: Yep. I didn't gaslight you too hard. You uh-huh. made it all the way through. I made
1: it through without being gaslit or crying, so <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a success.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, but usually I'm gentle on the first one. So if you come back,
1: or if I come back, you're gonna just tear me apart. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, perfect.
0: Um. But yeah, thanks, Matt. Awesome. Thanks for coming on.
1: And thanks for having me.